Hi. Hello. Did you like that? Yes. That was my attempt at a baritone, bass. I don't know. I don't know my registers. Ray has brought us over peanut M&M's. Mm. We can't go wrong with the peanut M&M's. Yeah. Except that we're doing a podcast and we're both munching on peanut M&M's. Fuck it. What are you going to do? All right. I'm Blaze Walker. I'm Ray Jorgov. And together we are the, the film, film dicks. Here's what we're going to do. We're talking about dicks today. Me, me, me. We're not talking <laughs> about dicks. Uh, no, but you know the other well, kind of dick. There are, there is, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a. If we get to that second one, there is. No, yeah. here I'm going to give a little premise. To this. Go. So, Ray approached Ma and said he wanted to do a noir film. Was it me? I thought it was you. Well, was maybe we both came up Did with I the said? idea. Okay. I don't know. Whatever. We said, oh, we should do a noir. We do a noir. Okay. And Ray's going to be the protagonist, and. What I wanted to do was, we're doing this podcast, so what I did was, I wanted, Ray, well, Ray's been doing narration, and he's been doing it outside of, you know, just radio and stuff like that, and so we knew that the, um, we wanted a narrator-driven mm-hmm. noir. Personally, I kind of like them better. There's something about them. With the that, narration? With narration. There's something about them that's, that's a little... Sometimes it's campy, but that's not right. why it is I like them. What, what I like about them is it kind of brings in another aspect that you usually don't see in film, not too often. And the other part is the writing. The writing's got to be really good to pull off a narrator-driven noir. So just in the fact that, of the uniqueness, the writer aspect, and because Ray has done narration and then I started writing this we're going to do a short noir and I wrote this with Ray in mind as the main character and what I thought was important of course it's important was to kind of educate Ray on some of my favorite noir or the best some of what I thought was the best noir what I did was I you know I said Ray you, you do your own research to look at pick noir that you like, etc. But I chose a combination of Robert Mitchum from Farewell, Farewell, My Lovely, and one of my favorite noirs, and I think one of the best narrator-driven noirs ever, is Double Indemnity with Fred McMurray. And so I thought this would give Ray a really good grasp of kind of the character that we're creating mm-hmm. for the noir that we're doing. And... We're just going to talk about. Well, we'll, I guess maybe we'll we'll start there with the narration, or do you want to start with? Do you want to start with a specific film? Um, What What do you mean in terms of the the narration? You mean kind of comparing both? Yeah, from comparing the differences. Why don't we just start with talking about double indemnity, indemnity and then we'll come up with because I mean we can talk about each narration as we talk about each film. And so so let's jump in there right there. Okay. What did you feel about? So this is the first time Ray. Is it? It's the first time you saw Double Indemnity, right? Yeah, it's the so, first time, and, and probably the first time that you've seen Fred McMurray playing such a dark character. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I wouldn't say dark. I'd say tragic, maybe. Okay, I, I found him to be a little more tragic, just because he. I mean, it all is based off of like him uh, falling in love with a woman, and that drives the rest of his his actions. So it's not really like. 
you know, something tragic happened to him that forced them to do what he did. It was all because of, you know, love. I don't think it was all because of love. That's why I think it's dark. I think it's dark because he, it was a combination of, and the very fact that he chose to do this just for love is dark in my mind. But the other part is... I mean, sure. I mean, that's always been like, yeah, yeah. The other part of this is he was cocky and thought that he could get away with it. Right. I think it there was There is part, that aspect of it. Yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah. the other part of this character is I'm better than the um, mm-hmm. insurance company. I can fool the insurance company when nobody mm-hmm. else can. Mm-hmm. With that, why don't you give a really quick synopsis <laughs> of what the film is? Okay. So basically the film is Fred McMurray plays Walter Neff, who is an insurance agent for an insurance company. They sell, and I don't even I don't know if it's done today, oh uh, maybe but maybe just back then, um, they sell a whole bunch of different insurances. So this one company sells like health insurance, like work insurance, car insurance, all these kinds of insurances that you can think of, and he is basically their top salesman. And one day he has to approach a Mister um, Diedrichson, I think that's the last that's name, right. Mister Diedrichson, who is a um, a customer of theirs for uh, renewal of his auto insurance. And basically, he goes to his house. He isn't there. And that's when we're introduced to... Um, Barbara Stanwyck's character. Barbara Stanwyck's character, Phyllis Diedrichson, who is Mr. Diedrichson's wife. And basically, right then and there, they make it really quick, really simple. He sees her, and he's smitten with her. They start having like a chemistry. They, they, they both start falling for each other. As that's happening, though, when Phyllis finds out that Walter Neff is a uh, insurance agent, she immediately brings up, you know, health insurance or you know, yeah, accident accidental insurance, accidental insurance <laughs> that'll, you know, right for her husband in case, hint, 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 uh, he dies, and so basically, kind of gives a, a little breakdown of how that works, and just eventually, real quick, as the story proceeds. Mm-hmm. She starts to more and more complain about her husband. And, yes. And, but very quickly. Yes. Makes that determination. And at first he resists, but then, good. Yep. Yep. Basically, she keeps asking him about it to sign him up, to sign up her husband, Mr. Diedrichson, to accidental insurance without his knowledge. Um, her excuse is that she doesn't want him to know uh, just for his safety because she's so concerned about him going to the oil fields. Uh, that's where he works. He's an owner of a oil right. company or something like that basically as it progresses he she comes clean that she wants yeah, him dead wants him she dead. she wants her husband dead and walter neff uh eventually believes her falls cool. for it because sympathizes with her yep and they come up with a plan <clears throat> to kill her husband but before they do they trick him into signing the accidental yeah. we insurance don't, we don't even have to get into any more of that yeah. Let's just stop there with the explanation because right. too many of us. No, you did a great no, no, job. No, we need to keep going. No, no, you did a great job. It's cool. That's this it. is That's what it. I think. Let's just jump in. Yeah. What? Well, let's talk about the narration because we explained well, to the audience I, I, that I wanted to do a quick notice because, again, first time watching this movie and really I don't have that much of a big of a, a noir background, so I was surprised because first thought I had was like holy crap but the way the movie starts I was like wow they're really like this is like Tarantino's predecessor of like just like the way the, the story starts where it starts and then we have the flashback to like yeah keep with I was like wow that would okay so 
So you thought I love that, that style, and you thought it was really cool. Did you think yeah. that that? Did you I, believe I it? Loved... Did you buy it? Or did you were you right immediately right in with this film? Or are you yeah. like yeah? yeah. Mm. No, I mean, okay. you mean like starting at like basically the climax and then going back? Yeah, and, yeah. But we yeah. we open with. Yeah, yeah, so we open with him, uh, Walter Neff, coming back to his insurance office, and he's um, clearly wounded. wounded. You, you can't really tell what it is. He's covering it up with an overcoat. And basically, he gets to his office and sits down in front of what I assume is... It's a recorder, old-timey yeah. recorder. Old time. He basically starts recording himself uh, with a confession to his higher-up, his manager, uh, Barton Keys. Played from- by the one and only and one of my favorite actors... I don't know what you think about him, but... I thought he was good in the role, but I have, like, some issues with the character. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Not issues, it's just, like... I might be protective of getting like I was <laughs> James Cagney. Okay, Public okay. Enemy. <laughs> but, um, Edward G., played by Edward G. Robinson. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the most compelling parts of the story. I don't want to go off here, because I still want to talk about the narration. Sure, sure. But one of the most compelling parts of this story, and I thought what was unique to a lot of other noir, and mm-hmm. one of the reasons I love Double Indemnity is the relationship between uh, Fred McMurray and Edward G. Robinson, or between those characters, yes. Walter Neff and Keyes. Mm-hmm. And they're more than just co-workers. They, they have this camaraderie. It's more than just their camaraderie. It's the elder uh, salesman taking the younger salesman under his wing, but there's a friendship and a sort of a... As the story unfolds, you see that that there's affection to that friendship between mm-hmm. between both of them. And it was one of my favorite parts of the film and I think unique uh, to Noir. Yeah. No, um, it, it was cool. You're definitely right about the the relationship and it's like, they, they, they did it in a way where they didn't have to show them like grabbing a beer or hanging out outside of work. They only ever interacted at the office. With the, the insurance building. Of the one time when he goes... Where to his apartment. Mr. Yes. Keys goes to his apartment. Which yes. Is one of my favorite scenes. But anyway, mm. so did you want to say anything else about or We'll talk about that as we go. Yeah. Let's get back to the narration. Yeah, back to the narration. Sure. Yeah, I liked it. And there's definitely a, a difference to it from then from uh, Fairway, My Lovely. So it, it, we can talk about the differences when, if we get to right. the other one. Yep. But it's cool. I enjoyed it. You know, it's, it's, it's got that style where it's like, you know, the 1940s, like... You know, they. I don't know how to describe it. You just kind of have to listen to it. There's a rhythm to the whole, like, the way they talk. And it's it sounds like what you would expect, like, the talkies. And, like, hey, they kind of talk like this and very a little bit a little bit fast. and like. But it's not, compared to a lot of things, it's not no. over-talking. It's not, look here, see? And then I said this. And I, but no, they don't I, use those, so like, stereotypical phrases agree. or anything. And no, it's no, no, cool. No, no. It's cool hearing you, for the first time seeing this, recognize that there's a rhythm to that narration. Yeah. But... That being said, it's unique. <clears throat> I think it's unique from other talky kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. Did you buy the net? Did you enjoy that narration? Did you enjoy that part of the film where we cut in every so often with this guy narrating into a, a megaphone who's been uh, wounded, a recorder? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you think the because well, narr- it progresses the story? Like, <clears throat> yeah. You can't no, just absolutely. have the flashbacks. You have to absolutely switch between. But present what I'm saying and past. is. No, I believe it. Did I believe you it. Love it. it wasn't did you thought it was, Did you think it was super cool, or did you think it was just like, eh? No, I mean, I didn't think it was like the greatest thing I have sure. ever had, like gotcha. the pleasure of like putting in my ears. But like, no, it was awesome. I I enjoyed it. It was believable. It didn't have those like stereotypical like what like you were just 
doing like phrases. Cool. Like he wasn't like, look here, keys. Uh, I got something like to tell. It was like you know, yeah. he wasn't doing like or like see here or like. Well, part of what I was good about it, you felt it was believable. It was and believable, it, and it didn't throw at, at any part did it throw you out of the spell of the film. No, cool. uh, in fact, it actually added every time he started narrating that's exactly like right before the scenes or you know after a scene or <clears throat> that's exactly my experience and my thoughts and and i think that's good for the audience to yeah. hear. so yeah. when they go to to rewatch double and demi or watch it for the first time they can say yeah this really is cool or yeah but but it's one of the really attractive parts it adds to the scenes yeah it adds to the scenes because like you can have the scenes without the narration but because the way it starts and where it starts and he's narrating his his past, you get more of an emotional impact of what they're trying to do with the scenes. Absolutely. And it's Adds because it's like you're impact. hearing his either, well, regret uh-huh. as he's recording, but then you see what he was what he was thinking at that moment. At the moment. So you get the contradiction between what he knows now and what he was thinking then. Perfect so. articulation and one of the best, I guess, tropes or parts of the film is this. The juxtaposition to <clears throat> at sometimes his cockiness, at sometimes mm-hmm. his fear, at sometimes his over assuming that he had all the parts under control. Mm-hmm. And then that was one a of the guy that shot and suffering and, right. and also it adds to the relationship between him and Keys. He's disappointed in himself in what he did to this guy, too. Right. But good. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I liked a lot the way it starts with him being like the, I don't want to say cocky. Maybe cocky is a little too strong, but like self-confident salesman. He yeah. knows how to get The only reason done. I say cocky is it's one of the parts of the, the character I don't like. I don't like how he goes into someone's home to sell insurance and he was hitting on um, Phyllis Dietrich. Yeah. And he was a dick. By he the was way, a dick in that scene, like not completely, but he's definitely hitting on this woman. Well, yeah, and yeah, yeah, she yeah. is. That is, it, I love. It's one of my favorite parts. I mean, there's so many parts I love, but I, her comeback, her like willingness, and and what's cool is they didn't make this a generic cliche where immediately she's attracted and you know she's flirting back. She definitely stands her ground, even though there is attraction. That she's she's right. both. There's a, just small amounts of flirtation from her Mm -hmm. but for the most part it's like you need to settle down buddy Mm -hmm. like you're out of line yeah which by the way i love the writing in that scene because they were they were using these weird analogies and at the one i i know the very final one before he leaves is something about like a i'm not going too fast officer and she's just like you know what? Do you remember that? She, yeah, she says you're it was going a weird, 55 like, and yeah. you're doing 90 and a 55 or yeah, something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I just, no, I just thought it was like clever writing. Clever and showed how intelligent these two characters were yeah. and they're quick-witted. Yes, the yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, one of my favorite things was watching him kind of go from that and then basically his breakdown, not so mentally, not completely, uh, I should say not completely mentally, but it goes from like... This confidence to like the guy in control. The guy kind of in control. control. I think I have it. And then the minute they go to execute the plan, you can start seeing just on his face alone how he starts to change. And it's like, holy crap. Because like we assume the man has never killed before, but he comes up with this plan to like, 
Well, I gotta kill the husband. And it's partly from his experience as an insurance uh, salesman mm-hmm. that they know all the forms of death and all the way that people exactly. have tried to get away with murder, you know, and get and cash in on things. Yep. So because of his knowledge of that, mm-hmm. he knows kind of the ins and outs and just what to do. But Which, by the way, I'm going to do that on the quick sidebar. Is speaking of that, the knowledge of all the different kinds of accents. Further, further in in the movie, there's that great scene with uh, with with keys and his supervisor or whatever, where he like kind of goes off on him, yeah. naming all the like poss- all all these different like Maybe things. Maybe we say that because I. I don't want to take you off from where you're yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do want to talk about that. Yeah, what were you sure. saying to continue your thought about? So, you, so yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's you. You just watch him go from all these like different phases, from like confidence to like assured that he's in control, to then basically things start falling apart. Yep. Um, as you know, the case comes back to his office. You know, he yeah. puts on the face like he doesn't know what he, he pretends doesn't know anything about it. Uh, other than he helped, you know, he signed yeah. Diedrichson onto his accidental insurance. Yeah. But the more keys starts to like break down and figure things out, the more you can see Neff realizing like shit. Like I, I thought I was smarter than him, but I'm not. Yeah, you so. said it per- the way you articulated. One of the coolest. Another. I'm gonna keep saying another cool part. Cool. It's so, so cool, man. It's so. <laughs> It's such a well-structured film. It's good. It's damn good. It really is. For like but a movie that's an hour and like a half? Hour and 47 hour minutes. Hour and four minutes? Yeah. It, it's very quick paced. It is. Like they don't like waste time. They're just like bam, yeah. bam, 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 bam. In fact, it, there's there's some threads that probably, not probably, they, sh- they seem to, it should be worked out a little bit better. But mm-hmm. just kidding, just finishing the point of one of my favorite parts of this film or, or what's so great for the audience is to see this assured guy that knows how to get away with this and do it and you said it as soon as they start to implement or they're getting ready he changes his demeanor he's more nervous Mm -hmm. he's like he's mean to her he's kind of mean like um, before this they do have a couple scenes together and they kind of profess their love of each other and Mm -hmm. that he's willing to go and do this seeing that change in his character Mm -hmm. and then also seeing how the character navigates, like you said, his boss putting things together and just watching the acting of Fred McMurray. And he's in the background. They don't overdo it. It's one of my things I love about Billy Wilder. It's why he's one of the greatest directors. He does not, in any cliched or forced manner, shove that character in front of you. Okay, oh, here's the boss is finding something out. Now let's look and see what the character's reaction is. No, Fred McMurray's standing in the corner, in the, yeah. in the background. But but you're you immediately as a viewer are like, okay, what's he doing? Yeah. Like, how's he handling this? And it's just so I think cool. I think that makes it so much better is having that shot wide shot of everyone in the same frame. Yep. Um, and I think I know the scene you're talking about is when they have a witness from the train come into the office. To interview him and ask questions about the night of the yeah that's accident. definitely it's actually several it's that one it's when Barbara or, or, or uh, Phyllis uh, Barbara Stanwyck comes in to they called her in the office yes and yes. that's the first time that's you another see yeah. how he handled yeah. it. he was not expecting at all yep. that she was going to be called in yep. and then all of a sudden he's thrown in this office and then she he's the, his boss says oh, she's coming in yeah. 
And just to watch his reaction there. Yep. But yeah, absolutely. Well, the best one was the one you were talking with, about. With, with that scene, though, since, since you brought it up, they did a great way, great job at... They didn't necessarily do an extreme just close-up on his face. Yeah. It was more, again, more of a wide shot. Right. But you can see his facial expression, like... He's standing up. Nervousness and, like, kind of, like, holy shit, like, you know, that yeah. whole crap moment of her coming into the room. He didn't yes. know it. Is she going to be able to hold her own without me having to, like, give too much away from myself? So Yeah, you're yeah, saying yeah. it perfectly. It was great. Yes, it was great. Is she going to be able to handle it? Yeah. She handles it beautifully. Oh, yeah. And then even his acting isn't over the top. So nope. that's why I say uh, Billy Wilder is one of the greatest directors. He is the best director, best writer there are people out there equally as good at times, but overall, that's why I say he's the best because he doesn't do these stupid, cliched, expected things, especially for the time. He's so far ahead of his time in not making things obvious. I always say in writing and filmmaking, etc., err on the side of subtlety, mm-hmm. and this dude nails it over and over again, especially See, that's, that's, that's weird. And I, I, okay, now that you said it for that time, mm-hmm. and I, because I guess we've progressed and learned not only from him but from so many others since then, I didn't have that like element of like oh, surprise, like oh I didn't. I kind of started piecing it together as the movie went along, but I can see like for that time what what, what you yeah. mean is like being ahead of him. And, and again, I definitely see the influence he's had on Tarantino. Because- uh, but back to that one scene, one of the two scenes where they do a great job of kind of putting Fred uh, or Walter in the background, and but still um, having a presence, uh, where they bring in the gentleman from the train that was kind of a witness, and he kind of stands behind him, because the context to that is, Mr. Diedrichson was supposed to go on a trip to like a college reunion, a class reunion, and um, he broke his leg, and he, leg, yeah. he was going to take a train, and basically, they kill him on the way to the train station. And then Walter takes his place. He puts on crutches. He wraps his own foot up to make it look like he has a cast as well, all that stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, <clears throat> the last thing he expected, basically his plan was to go to the rail car at the very back for, like for a smoke or something. Yeah. Unharassed. He didn't think that he thought he was just going to stick to himself. Right. He right. He didn't down. expect anybody his else wife there. wife even says to the porter and the guy taking the tickets, look, he doesn't want to be messed with. He doesn't right. need help. Right. Just let him do his thing. They, they wanted to make sure they established the fact that he was alone and there were He's no alone. witnesses. Right. But, but you know that that character thought he was either going to sit by himself or right. he was going to be able to go and be alone and not be hassled by it. Right, and it's, exactly. And just, even that whole setup is so cool if you think about it. Because as an art, so you're the viewer. You said, just picture yourself watching this film. So you know that they've planned this out. They killed him on the way to the train station. And now he's got to pose as if he is Mr. Dietrichson. Dietrichson. So he's yes. got to kind of hide his face. Mm-hmm. He pulls down as a fedora. Mm-hmm. Um, and then gets on the train, and then he, he, he walks to the back. But that whole setup is just wonderful. And then he gets to the very back of the rail thinking that, okay, he's in the clear. That's it, we're in the clear, we got this. And who, what happens? And there's literally, as he walks out there, there's one man sitting on, in the back or outside, in that area of the cart. Um, the back of the, cave, of the train. Back of the train. And he's doing kind of what Mr. Diedrichson 
is also wanting to do just, just smoke a cigarette. Just out he doesn't want to be hassled. Mm-hmm. And here's this guy sitting there smoking who's <laughs> hilariously a talkative guy. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah, got to yeah. fucking... Of course it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's got to like... He's one of those people that I don't know how our audience is raised a little different than me, but like, <laughs> I don't like to be hassled too often or during certain situations. You know, one of the things I'm a writer, I'd rather spend time observing than maybe necessarily interacting. Mm-hmm. But this is hilarious because it's one of those people that won't shut the fuck up yeah. <laughs> or yeah. let you do your thing and just has to go. So take it away. Yeah, that's like a breath of comedy uh, yeah, in this whole is. like serious situation. And, Yet it adds to the suspense of it. The tension and the suspense. Tensions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, yeah, he uh, he tries to make small talk with Walter in disguise as Mister Diedrichsen, and Walter, you know, immediately turns his back to him. He tries to keep his face away from him the whole time, and basically makes an excuse or asks the dude to go into the back back into the train to go get his case of cigars or. Uh, cigarettes or whichever one yeah. which it was Scar. and you know the man obliges him since he thinks he's got a broken foot so he goes in and Walter basically jumps off the back of the train, train. and then they what they do is she has driven they already pre-planned this that at a certain spot mm-hmm. he would jump off and then no one would see him jump off obviously or see him there exactly and then they dragged the body onto the the real the, body the rail, of Diedrichsen yeah onto the, the rail that, that was in the car so she drove that body in the car to the place where they had decided to do it mm-hmm. and then that whole scene is really wonderful too because we keep expecting the the uh, Mr. Jackson the small talk to, to come back jerk, to come back yeah, at yeah, any yeah. Moment. but they you know he does they get away with doing that but this well, is what, go ahead well they, they have that great moment of like they're like, oh my god, we got it. We everything's set. We 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 pulled the body back onto the <clears throat> uh, onto the the rails. We left it, and then they get back into the car to leave, and it it, it chokes and it doesn't start. And you can kind of see just like it's calm yet like oh, both of those characters are like no, no, shit. Yeah, yeah, their yeah, faces. yeah. Their faces are kind of like but stoic, they... but you can sense like the like panic. The panic is, and they they portray it perfectly because they don't freak out that you you know in any other film you'd expect them to yell at each other yeah, and, blah, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and fall apart and they're just like and i think that's more of a genuine human reaction yes than anything else like then the, the whole screaming part of like why you know what i mean yeah, yeah. it's more like because when you do have those moments of panic some some people just like freeze yeah. and are a little more like they kind of start shutting down so yeah. it's like a lot like it's slower just, and calmer. It, but you can sense it. You can you can again, feel it. Incredible writing, incredible acting. The yeah. fact that somebody wrote somebody, Billy Wilder writes, okay, we're not gonna have the car start right out and they go on, we move on to the next scene. We're gonna have this moment where, okay, they can get caught again. There's mm-hmm. so many moments in this where they can get busted. Mm-hmm. Which is going back to what you said, and one of the brilliant parts of the writing. This is such a structured piece and well written. And well planned out. And you know it is because he has an excellent sense of when is the audience going to start questioning things, specific things about the plot. Or will the audience not necessarily get bored, but how do we keep everything going in addition to just this relationship with uh, Walter Neff and Phyllis Diedrich? If they just focused on that, 
the audience, I think, would begin to become bored, probably, to a sense. Maybe not. But all these little pieces, all these threads, and all these moments that heighten the tension, mm-hmm. you know, enter another character, enter this character, enter, helps. Yes, and it's, it is a... Uh, testament to the incredible yeah. writing and the structure yeah. of this. Yeah. So you let me let me have you before you. I know what you're going to probably say, but finish <laughs> the part. Let's go back to what we were talking about. So then Keys calls in this guy that is a witness to having met Mister Dietrich on the yes, train as the last and person they start who saw him alive. Questioning him. Yes. And yes. And and these that's, are the wide shots where we have. Yep. Basically, they, they the forefront of it is is Mr. Jackson. I think that's the the character's name, the, it, it the witness, Mr. Jackson. And uh, you know, Keys is asking him questions, and immediately you can see Walter. You know, he he knows who he is because they had a little bit of a right. introduction. Is when he pretended to be Mr. Diedrichson, so he knows who Jackson is, and immediately saw him kind of like turn his back to him. And like start just like, a little bit, but not just too, a little not bit terribly. Like he's it, not scrunching down, and but he's definitely scared and yes. kind of like oh shit, and panicky. But like they put him kind of like in the back against yeah. like a, a dresser or like a shelf, and there was this great moment where so in the foreground, he's uh, Mr. Jackson, the guy that witnessed seeing Mr. Dietrich, the fake Mr. Dietrich the, on the train. Mm-hmm. He's sitting in a chair while. Mr. Keys, the boss, played by Edward G. Robinson, is kind of walking back and forth, questioning. So they're both in the foreground, Mm -hmm. and then further back, about five to seven feet further back in the in the background, is Walter Fred McMurray standing, Mm -hmm. kind of in the corner, like on the a lot of times on the far edge of the uh, wide shot, Mm -hmm. and he's doing his damnness to not get recognized by Jackson. Because at that point, he still isn't sure if he if Jackson saw his face or not right. on the train. So he's turning away from him, kind of like sideways and stuff right. like that. But there were a couple great moments where, to the testament of the guy playing uh, Jackson, uh, he had this couple moments where he like looked back at him as if to hint, like, I've seen you somewhere before. He even asks him that later in the scenes, like, have we he met? Does. So he established that he's kind of... And he gets brought in twice. Mm-hmm. Mr. Jackson gets brought in twice. And you're right... And this is a part where I thought it was going to go cliched. You know, it's like it it could it was maybe a tiny bit heavy handed, but I don't think so. The guy definitely says has a feeling. You know, I think I kind of know you. Right, right. And the then, whole I think I feel like we've seen each other before and right. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But this is this goes back to again what I think is the brilliant writing, and that this is such a well structured piece, and that is these characters that from time to time not only they get introduced but then they come back in yep. to keep that tension and suspension going and it's brilliant and he's one of them and so is the daughter to of uh god damn it Phyllis teacher is that what you were gonna say? gonna say no but that's but that's perfect i, I, right? I was gonna say every time after there's a certain point that every time and it plays to this whole like almost getting caught feeling is after after the murder every other scene like like you said like every time there's a character that comes in they either have some new knowledge about the case itself or more information on a certain character right which sheds more light to the other characters and right. all the possibility also the possibility of getting caught right but there was so aside from that scene I didn't really see it I I think it might have been like maybe like a tiny thread 
that Billy Wilder threw in there. And I thought it was going to come to like full fruition, maybe in that scene with Jackson and uh, Keys and, uh, and Neff. Is there's another scene in the movie where, gosh, I, I think it was, again, after the murder, I'm pretty sure, where Keys actually offers Neff a new position. Yes. I think either his position or being his immediate assistant, something like that. Yep. Um, but it's still a promotion in terms of like Neff's <clears throat> point of view. But he turns him down. Not only because he's like, Keys is like investigating the case now. So he doesn't want to be too close to him uh, and have all that uh, more information come out that shouldn't. But also, he, I think he genuinely said that he, he likes being just a salesman. Yeah, he likes the freedom of being like, out. Exactly. Not just stuck with the numbers. Not in the office. And, and again, stuff with... great writing, also great acting mm-hmm. by... Robinson, when he explains the fascination with the data and the information, yeah, and he, how much great analogy of it, yeah, 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 so good. It's a great analogy, but there's in that scene at the very end, he says, "You're not stupid or like something. You're not better, just taller, just taller, which is hilarious." And I thought that like description or like that little snippet of saying that Neff is taller than everybody taller. else was gonna come into play of like. Jackson Jackson's bringing that up of being like, hey, he's way taller. He's, he was way taller than yeah the, the photo, I, the bodies I seen. So I thought that was gonna come into play, and maybe it did, just by the looks that he was kind of giving him, seeing like, have we met before? Sort of. So, but if you remember when he's on the train, the whole time he's on the train, he's hunched over. He's trying to to. That to is true. Play that, that is he's true. He's a smaller guy. He's aware without yeah. telling the audience yeah, yeah, or yeah. making it obvious. I'm much taller than Mr. Dietrich. Mm-hmm. So the whole time he's kind of scrunched down in the crutches, yeah. which was a great, you know, ploy for him in a you know a circumstance mm-hmm. that they could take advantage of where his height wouldn't you know be too obvious. Yeah. Difference, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's probably right. you know we had talked about the the structure and the writing and how you know it's not just. Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray's relationship kind of falling apart, you know, which is definitely happening. You know, they're both under the gun now. And uh, Fred McMurray or uh, Walter Neff has more difficulty. Part of it is because his boss is putting the pieces together. Yes. But Barbara uh, Stanwyck or Phyllis Dietrich, is, we start to see how cold she is. Yes. Calculated. Well, and she doesn't care. And she's like, oh, we're going through this, baby, mm-hmm. all the way. Um, I, I made it sound generic, but it wasn't. But well, but we also find out why. Let's rephrase it. Okay. Let's rephrase it. Well, he finds out. The, the reason she's so... Yes, you're right. So we can start from here, I guess. But. Well, well, here's what... So Ray just part told a part of the film yeah, that sorry. we decided... No, it's good. But we're, we're not going to just talk about the plot points. We're, you know, Obviously, you hear us talking about the writing of Wilder and the individual shots. I'd rather much talk about different scenes or what makes the film you know ahead of its time or great or whatever mm-hmm. and i know ray's the same way so we don't want to like unravel every single plot point um so we decided to cut something that ray had said that another character reveals yeah about yeah, another yeah. so you so, get yeah. to see that on your own or put two and two together but ray's mm-hmm. going to describe something about it what, what are you going to say no no i think you just worded it perfectly we find out through another character about phyllis Barbara's character and why as the situation kind of starts breaking down and everything's starting to fall apart and Keys is getting more and more like putting the pieces more and more together Walter is like breaking down but you, you start to see like you said how 
cold and calculating Phyllis's, and we're revealed by another character as to why. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, we're not going to spoil it. We're going to cut that other part out where I spoiled it. So. But that's all but, right. But watch it. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so I would recommend gonna... it. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great revelation, I would say. It's, um, but yeah, there's definitely that separation where eventually Walter starts thinking about himself how he he can get out of this he's like he's realizing now nah, we're now gonna get it we're not gonna getting away with it keys is gonna put it together we're we're screwed and eventually they well we don't even yeah, yeah, unless yeah. you want to mention it why don't we jump from here to what was your favorite scene in the film or what was your favorite thing about this film overall overall i don't it's i guess the whole thing i don't know I, I like the whole thing you know what i did it like though i just the way yes we established that keys is like a veteran in the insurance business he's been doing it for years but the way he meticulously put everything together to like some really like not really fine but like but by some fine details i was like yeah you're putting out some like sherlock holmes energy here like i didn't really yeah i feel like that was a convenience for the plot to like kind of speed things along i just didn't believe that part Okay, I bought it, and I'll tell you why. Well, it might be that my love of of um, you bias Edward G. <laughs> bias towards Edward G. Robinson, but the love of that character and how he does it, I totally buy it. And I don't think it's because this is a different role for Robinson than we've seen him. And as a matter of fact, it didn't take a lot of convincing, but Billy Wilder had had to sell this to him and say, you know, Robinson was used to being the lead guy. Mm-hmm. And so he's, you know, a sub-character. He's certainly not a small one. It's, it's supporting. Really he's a supporting character. But it says something about Robinson, too, and his willingness to do something that where he wasn't the lead. But that's just my admiration of him. What I bought it was the writing, again, like how he knows the numbers. And he goes on this tangent <clears throat> about how he's constantly so when there's the scene where he tries to get fred mcmurray to be his right hand man and stop being out in the world selling and and uh, walter refuses or d- just decide, yeah i don't want to take it i want to be out i don't want to be stuck in the office he tries to explain why it's so exciting in the office and dissecting what you have to know mm-hmm. and there's several parts in the film like when their boss, like the regional manager, comes in right, and tries right. to shut this down and not pay the double indemnity, and he thinks he's just going to run roughshod over this dame because she's a lady, and he's going to tell her that they suspect suicide, and uh, he does this, and he gets Barbara Stanwyck in a great, you know, moment, just is like, screw off, and how dare you say this after my husband died mm-hmm. to say you don't know anything about it, blah blah blah, but then after that, Keys, the boss of McMurray of Walter just rips into his regional manager with, again, you, you don't know insurance like I know insurance, and goes through what he should have known about suicide and accidental death and what, what real death is and mm-hmm. the probability, and he just chews him out. And the other part that, that the reason I bought it is the threat of that little guy inside telling him right something's wrong. So all throughout this film, you know, there's another case where he tells, you know, there's just something not right. He gets kind of like indigestion almost with something inside, instinct that tells him something's up. This just doesn't put two and two together. 
And so with his experience, he goes and dives into the data and figures out what, what's wrong. So I, I see what you're saying, but that's why I did believe it, because it was the little guy, the instinct that, that was threaded, and well, also his you know little speeches about... Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and I believe those, and I enjoy those scenes. I, I mean, I enjoy that scene where he ripped since the original manager with all this, like, yeah. details about all these different kinds of, like, you know, accidental killings or, like, accidental deaths and stuff, suicides and stuff like that. Yeah. But, like, and I would have believed if he put the case together in terms of, like, what it is. But, like, he was, like, there was one part, and I don't know if I should say it, but... No, because it's not. It's Go not ahead, really spoiling. It. No, it's not it. really spoiling. It's not really spoiling. He's like, he deduced that after they killed the real Diedrichson has been killed, the imposter wrapped his foot up with like think with a fake cast. And I'm like, how would you? Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, it, I it's in a little too like too like just like on point. On point. It's, it's like exactly. from all like right. from just reading paperwork. You know what yeah. I mean? And I guess I brushed over that, but what I did catch and what I did thought believable is when he says, "The train's going 15 miles an hour. Nobody's going to commit suicide." That makes sense. I believe that. Right. Yeah, I believe that's that. What I'm that's saying. believable. I know yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, arguing yeah. with the evidence that I saw and you're doing mm-hmm. the same thing. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I'll tell you. So, we'll let that go. Audience, you you decide. Great character though or no, it was of you, keys of, of yeah. Uh, keys. Yeah. yeah, great character. Other than like too convenient of putting shit together. Yeah, other than that. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Now we're talking about stuff that's not super believable. Or two things that bug me. One is, mm-hmm. and this is a criticism of uh, it's a direct contrast to what I've said about Billy Wilder in that he he uh, is subtle and isn't campy how quickly they fall in love for each other in that scene after she kind of shuts him down and then she comes to his house. Yeah. And he says, well, I'm crazy about you, baby. That was way too quick. I didn't believe it at all. But it doesn't take away from... There's so much tension outside of this that it doesn't matter. But... Yes, you're right. It's not great writing. <laughs> it's not. Okay. Uh, but you know what? In a kind of like meta, weird way, if you think about it, we are seeing all of this through Neff's perspective. So in his head, maybe, even though he does say it, that's how it's yeah, perceived could, to him. So I got you. And it could you know be what I mean? Jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good so. point. That's a really good point. The other thing about the film mm-hmm. that I, I thought wasn't great writing or could have been done a little better, but again, you know, this is being kind of hypercritical to a film that is so well-structured and so yeah. well-written and so well-filmed with all that great, beautiful tension and, you know, kind of, are they going to get caught? Who's going to, you know, fuck up first or who's going to fall right. apart? Yeah. Um, yep. Was the, the, there's a character. So Phyllis Dietrich, I'm sorry, Phyllis Dietrich, yes, played by Barbara Stanwyck, has a daughter, a stepdaughter. Stepdaughter. And she's dating this uh, guy who's kind of, uh, not kind of, he's rash and, and kind of brutal. And... I'm not going to discuss the whole plot point, but it's a little, he's, that character is not uh, developed enough. So we see just two shots of him. One is, or maybe three, but one doesn't really count. But the one shot is the daughter, the stepdaughter asks for a ride or winds up in the car of Walter, Walter Neff, because she wants to go downtown 
Right. Um, and this is a girl that's exerting her in freedom. And I thought she did a great job as this as this character. So he drives her down, and then we're introduced to her boyfriend, who's this brash guy. And he's a, the guy's a jerk. But <laughs> but that character wasn't threaded well enough. I thought that, that, that the next time we see him, it's like... It's a it's a part of the film where we're expected to believe that Walter is going to be kind to this guy for some reason. But I, I what I, I'm saying is, I don't think that that character's developed well. I agree. Enough. But I do like the idea of what happens. We won't say what happens, but I like the idea of what happens. What Walter Neff does yes. with this other character. I we'll leave it. I at agree. Um, could have been way more developed. Uh, at, and yes, I, I like you can see what they were trying to do with the character. Yes, but overall, I think he just ends up being a plot convenience. It feels like that. So feel, this yeah. is my take. Yeah, I think they were at an hour and forty-seven minutes. You don't feel like you said it. You don't feel like you're watching a film that's an hour and forty-seven minutes. It you feels really don't. less than an hour yeah. because it's so tight. All the other parts are tight, the tension, etc., the great acting. But you almost, because of their abilities, want them to work this out. And then if a little more time is spent, again, it's hypercritical. Because could you freaking imagine with this cast and the amount of pressure they probably had, you know, film this, get this done, and move on to your next project. It's kind of ridiculous. But it, but it's a, a fair judgment. And if all the elements were perfect... And they had all the time in the world. Mm-hmm. It would have been cool to see that. Yeah. So audience, well, this, you check it, it out and it, see it, if you it, buy it. Or... Yeah. It's funny that you bring that up because at a certain point, they kind of like sidelined Phyllis towards the end of the film. And it becomes solely uh, Walter and his copy until like the very last couple of scenes. And th- th- there's a reason for it. They give a reason for it because like Keys is hot on their trail and he's going to be following Phyllis. Yeah. Uh, it would have been nice to have like only maybe like solo Phyllis scenes on like, you know, what she's going through, maybe give her, uh, and that way we can get more of a character development through her. Yeah. And maybe interactions with her and keys. That's brilliant, Ray. And one of the, that uh, really but like, it would have made it a lot, lot better. Cool. I think they could but, have made this film two hours and, yeah. or just two hours and fix those kind of things. And even out of that, I do think, one of the things that I want to see is kind of it's kind of it's not quite saying the brilliance of what you brought up, but it's saying that more of, of that character is they keys Edward G. Robinson tells McMurray that they're following her, that mm-hmm. they got a guy on her, and I would have liked to see like yeah. at least one scene where they're doing it. And there's, yeah. and there's still moments where he's still seeing her, where there could have been close calls, yeah. and they actually do have a part in the film that one of the little threads is they meet at a grocery store. So that yes. no one, it can just be happenstance and no one yeah. ever knows. But yeah. they meet at the grocery store to develop the murder, to, to uh, plan that, out the murder, and then what the, what the information they have to give each other. But there's a car that comes up real quick right before he enters the grocery store. And I, I saw it and I was like, did they do that to create tension? I don't think it was just a mistake. It might have been that they wanted to show, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, like a close call well, where he got so It's either that or also playing into his, like, paranoia. Right. Yeah, it could be. Of being followed. Yeah. Since he knows that information that she is being followed, he's yeah. like... But he start. doesn't know... What I'm saying is he doesn't notice the car... Like, a car comes... Watch it, audience. It's after they commit the murder. This car comes abruptly up to the car that he just parked, and it even screeches. It goes... Ur! 
Like, mm-hmm. and you're like, what? Which goes to, this is the last thing I want to say because I've already talked about the brilliance of Billy Watt. Billy Water is my favorite director and writer. My favorite scene in here is when Edward G. Robinson, Mr. Keys, Walter Neff's boss, the dude Walter Neff helped plan this murder, shows up to his apartment because he wants to talk about the case a little bit more, just like check in. And Walter is meeting Phyllis. Oh, right, right. And she's coming to his apartment. She doesn't know that he just showed up. And so the scene Well, Walter this, didn't know either. Right. Walter didn't know he was showing up, but Walter just was on the phone with her. He hangs up the phone, and then in comes yep. his boss knocking on the door. And he's like, it's way too soon for Phyllis to be here. And then he opens it. And then there's the wonderful part of the scene is she comes in, and mm, she yeah. could. Once again, there's so many moments, and that's why I brought it up after that car screeching. There's so many moments where they could get caught or something could happen, or they have to they have to put the two and two together. So she walks up to the door. It's like she's almost going to go in. She hears the, the two conversation. Yes, yes. So she shuffles past and just waits. And so he opens the door, and Robinson's there talking to him. And he goes to the elevator, and she just tugs the door just a little bit, so he knows she's on the other side of it because he knew he, he was expecting her to show yeah. up. So he's like, oh, and it. it beautifully it's incredibly acted again subtle and then he goes to the elevator and then he's standing by the door and then of course he stops and he comes back right. toward he walks back toward him like you don't know what's happening what's he doing is he gonna like who's behind that door yeah but he yeah, says yeah. something else no and, no no and then it adds to this other thread of striking the match and lighting his cigar honestly i think this is one of the like the moment we talked about and the public enemy no 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 I thought that was another improvised moment. I know we talked about the grapefruit thing with yeah. James Cagney. You think that was improvised? Oh, if, no. I, I think that, I think it was. The tug on the door yeah. that he walks toward the yeah. door. Because I think there was... Well, some, him the, walking the, toward the door, the door. No, 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 no. no. You could be right. The door was supposed to, I think they're supposed to stay open to a certain point. Then it kind of maybe started closing. Yeah. And then that's why she tugged on it. Because you can see his he does, he, he does a reaction. He's just like... Does a quick glance, just, just, yeah, yeah, and, and so like, well, and pushes the it door. Could so be. It I could feel be. like it could have been improvised, but it's so good that it's like either way, yeah. it's good. And the look on her face either actually way. looks like it is improvised. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, so we see her face behind the door, him in front of the door. Again, another wide shot. Yep, she's in the foreground door. He's out, like holding the door, and then. Edward G. Robinson, his boss, is walking towards the elevator in the yep. background, but he does this stop and comes back towards you like, oh shit. Yeah. This is yep. that's so good. So good. It's good stuff. Well, cool. I'm glad that you appreciated that narration and the points you made. I thought were fucking dead on. Yeah, no, I Yeah, the whole narration and the way yeah, you just yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I'm doing the similar thing in the writing for our noir, and that is the narrator, the audience has to catch up with what the narrator knows. There we it's go. Definitely. Yep. So that was a reason to, to watch this for myself to rewatch it and see. Um, but also for you. And what I told Ray is I want him to do a combination of this narration in Double Indemnity, the narration by Robert Mitchum in Farewell, My Lady. Lovely. Lovely, thank you. <laughs> farewell. I know. I, I, say that. I, I, I always want to say that. No, because it's okay. I typed that in. A farewell, my lady, and it's it, it is something else that yeah, exists. I know it is. Well, and 
<laughs> and I was like, is this the right movie? Because I was looking for Robert Mitchell. I'm like, he's not in this. What I'm writing or what I wanted Ray to hear was I want him to do a combination of these two narrators with and add in his own element of, I forget how I phrased it. What did I say? It wasn't just anger. What did I say? Well, here, we'll look up our texts. That's I know it. this is a really exciting moment for the audience. I don't regret, panic. Is it stuff that we talked about tonight? or No, it's actually like when we were talking about the noir, I said, here, watch these films. I know you for sure brought up Robert Mitchum and Fred McMurray, but I don't know if you... And then you said something about my own thing, but I don't think you added like a description to it. Yes, I did. It was a oh. two. It was a two-worded phrase. <laughs> I can't believe you don't remember. Ah, cold contained anger. See. All right. So I texted Ray. Watch. Uh, watch the farewell, my lovely. Your narration will be somewhere between double indemnities, narration, farewell, um, my love my lovely, and uh, some cold contained anger thrown in. So it's like a combination of those three. Yeah. And this is written written for Ray because I've seen Ray's acting. His ability is completely different than than the character he is in our um, in the series Fixate. This is a completely different role, and I'm excited about it to see how Ray does this. Like it's, it's I think this is going to stretch your acting chops. That's what I believe. Yeah, I'm excited to do it. I'm excited to do it. It's different than we did, and it's a it's a pretty full range. And then in your narrating, so we opened the film with Ray walking down an alley. I got this beautiful shot um, ready. Um, this location, it's an old church in my hometown that looks like it's you know in England, but we're gonna shoot it in black and white, and we're gonna do it on a night where there's a full moon. So it's, it's just going to be incredible for a mm. noir piece. And we're going to start the narration there. So it'll be Ray, uh, similar to Double Indemnity. He knows everything that's happened. Um, and here he is, the narrator, mm -hmm. telling the audience, this is what it's like right now. And he even says, I even have it written, that he, I don't have you say, I'm not, you say to the audience, I'm not telling you everything. And then it, it unfolds. Nice. So, yeah. It should be cool. But this, this is what's fucking great about this. And this is why I want to do the podcast because we said it in our introductory podcast. You know, Ray's coming from the acting end. I'm coming from a writer, director, and also acting. And you're getting insight it's into, just fun because uh, even into though what we're going to do, but yeah. also our take yeah. on, on how we see these other brilliant films. Well, and Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Even though... We both like two people can know can have knowledge about let's say acting. Like two actors sit down and they know about acting and they're talking about acting, but they can watch the same piece and yet have different takes on it. Absolutely. But what's cool about this podcast is our audience is gonna get to see work that we actually do. You know? And we're actually we actually work on projects and we're doing projects. So I think that's a cool element. And, and well, I guess we'll leave this for the podcast. But we, we explained, you know, one of the threads of this episode is here's a film that we're looking at to, to use both for the writing and also to, to uh, give the right. nuances to the actor. Yeah. yeah. And what we want to take from this. And then you'll be able to, hopefully you'll be able to see the influence 
when the project's done. But just the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, we're saying here's a whole nother reason why we're like looking at this film. I think that's. And cool we think shit. you should too. Oh, that I would. For sure. I, I, I would definitely recommend this, this film to, to others. Yeah. Cool. Do you, do you want to talk about the other one? Or I don't know. I kind of maybe, feel maybe like... elements of it. Here's what I'm going to say is, Okay, yeah, of, let's at least talk about the narration. So, for, for the narration. Okay, that's what I was going to bring up. So, we mm-hmm. have this character of Walter in Double Indemnity. He's more of like the narration. I'm talking about the narration, not the yep. progression of the character uh-huh. or anything. So, at the when his narration, at that point, he's coming to grips with what has happened. He's regretful. So, it's more of like, ah, melancholy is coming to mind. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's the right word. Whereas with... Robert Mitchum's character in Farewell, My Lovely. Yeah, let's, let's define a little better. Uh, all right. yeah, I, it's, yeah. it's melancholy, but it's, how do you say, a giving in. He's giving in to the fact of what he did, with, and he's sad. He's yeah, he's accepting that he... Accepting. Accepting of the consequences yeah. of what he's gone through. And it's kind of, and this is the last part, and why I love the film, and I said that the love, there is a love between these two guys, his boss and him. And he's explaining to his boss what the boss saw and what he caught and what he didn't. And he's literally saying, it's kind of like a love letter, a goodbye letter yeah. to yeah. his boss. And that that's so cool. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, that, that's, that's... Yeah, but you're I'll, saying... I would describe that. You're describing this and then you're describing... Uh, Robert Mitchum's uh, narration here in Farewell, My Lovely, he's a little more stereotypical. Okay. Okay. Not in terms of like the dialogue that's being said, the writing. Just like, well, his character is that kind of like kind of jaded cop, private detective. Yeah. This is the hard boiled. Hard boiled. What you would expect from it. Um, down and out. Yep. He's down and out. Yep. And that's what. That's why I wanted, I wanted you. To, so there's an underlying little bit of anger, although, although. It's almost like Mitchum is, this is not Mitchum's best role ever. I can tell you that. There's so many yeah. things that he's done way better. It's almost like, I kind of feel like in this film, Mitchum's not phoning it in, but he's like, you know what? I've got my incredible body of work. I want to research like what he was going through at the time. Mm. If, he, if this was like kind of a comeback and he hadn't had much, or if he had done so much and he was just like, Okay, you know, I, you know, um, this is my role and this is what I'm doing. Yeah. But but Mitchum is a master at being subtle anyway. So I thought the more subtlety in this and also exposing you to the hard-boiled down and out dude mixed with the more dramatic character of mm-hmm. the double indemnity and and set. So that's tough. Like putting those two together with the cold hard. What was the fucking description that I said to you? Cold contained anger. Cold, cold contained anger. That's going to be a killer combination, I believe. But you're right. I didn't mean to. I kind of interrupted. No, you. No, no, no. It's cool, man. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm going to be honest. I don't know much of his like resume, like uh, uh, in terms of body of other works, which uh, pisses me off. Audience, here is a listen. Budding actor. I have to piss him off at least once every and episode. He doesn't fucking know Robert <laughs> Mitchum's body work. Who is my favorite actor? Oh, I and have to know all about Blaze's favorite no, actors. The reason he's my favorite actor is his fucking brilliance, like, and his body of work. It's well, here's, 
fucking Here's what incredible. I was going to say. I will finish my thought on but a positive no, note. I'm pissed. I am pissed at your lack of education. Not not you. You study. Like, Ray studied to be an actor. But how the fuck... We're not going to mention that place. But how the fuck? You <laughs> didn't get, like, a list of films that you must, you know, see or... Do you know what I mean? Like, oh. that's your fucking career. And I, I just... It's... But I also think it's kind of a cool element of this podcast too. Another reason that not not, this isn't a reason we're doing it, but these differences between age (laughs) and also (laughs) like experience in in watching the film. You have a a fucking incredible theater background. I have none other than going to watch it. You know, watch theater. Mm -hmm. I don't have that, but study of film and and writing and all that. I guess is my repertoire. But I just I. It's astounding me. Fair you know, enough. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Robert, oh my God. And it's so many films have, not so many, but several of them have been redone, which we could talk about that. Actually, we will. We'll talk about a couple of um, films that, you know, uh, De Niro doing one of uh, Mitchum's earlier roles. Yeah, this is like later in his yeah. career. <clears throat> well, I, I don't know. I. I think you would be able to tell. I guess you're coming from the perspective of like seeing his other body of work yeah, and then seeing cool, this yeah, and comparing yeah. it to the others. Right. Me being kind of like a first introduction to him sure. with this role. Yeah. It didn't. It didn't come off to me as him like phoning it in. Okay. And, and I feel that like I can usually a, tell if an actor is like a phoning it in. Blanket statement. He was not phoning it in, but he was just comfortable. And yes, it seemed like. He's like, I got this. Not a lot of uh, stretching and nuance going on with this role. But just for what he did do, which is that hard-boiled, jaded, like, constantly just like, it worked. Like, it worked. Like, it wasn't bad. It worked. And these are, so these are my favorite films to read. My favorite, uh, not my favorite works of fiction, but hard-boiled, I like the hard-boiled detective fiction writing. I love that stuff. It's it's such a pleasing, easy read, and I love that down and out character. I've always loved it, and it's one of my favorite things to read. And I've read the Marlowe series. That Marlowe is a character uh, created by um, Raymond Chandler. Raymond Chandler is you know he writes hardball detective stuff, uh, but there's so many other writers that kick his ass if you ask me. They're good. He's solid. Like, but anyway. I love I that know. down and yeah. out yeah. character. And, this, uh, there's there's something about like, it's not really in your, and it's fascinating that what the way Robert Mitchum portrayed his character in that movie is the w- same way I think most people would read it if they're reading yes. the book. Like, Good point. it's not re- it, it's not really monotone, but again, it's just kind of like, eh, I got nothing better going on. Yeah, he's like, it's this thing happening and. I found Next myself, thing I knew, I found myself in. I found myself yeah, yeah. in a hotel on East Fifth and Twenty Ninth. Yeah. East yeah. Fifth and Twenty Ninth doesn't make sense. Like East Fifth, <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, and, uh, I, I'm I'm running from the cops. I haven't had a good, you know. Jo- yeah, it's there's something about it. I don't know what. It, it just it's appealing. You're right. No, it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's appealing. It's, it was such a great time in fiction too. I'm gonna have to research who the fir- who was the first hardboiled detective writer. It wasn't uh, Raymond Chandler. But that somebody, somebody had to be drawn from experience is, is mm-hmm. what I feel like. Oh, I'm like sure. They had it. I'm sure. Yeah, you know, it's kind of Bukowski-esque. I don't know if you know Bukowski's, uh, you know, 
a great writer. I, I love him. I think he's one of the best writers. But most of Bukowski's writing is about, you know, the shitty aspect of life. And he writes brilliantly about it. And these old detectives, um, hard-boiled detectives and voices are speaking from that element of being down out. And another reason I think it's attractive, it might be super attractive to artists because, you know, remember in one of the podcasts I was saying, you damn, you, you damn straight you're going to tell them what you do. And you didn't want to tell them that, you know, what you do on the side. Because <laughs> right, that's what we got to right. fucking do. We got to, like, bust our asses and, you know, work jobs to survive while we still do our art. And I think that's why it might be attractive to the artist. But anyway, I'm just talking. I don't know if I interrupted yeah. you. I feel like I interrupted no, you. So I had to say about it. Oh, and uh, I mean, if you, I, I would also recommend this movie as well, Farewell, My Lovely, just for the uh, bit role Sly Stallone has in this movie. I lost my <laughs> shit. I lost my shit when I saw Baby <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. I was like, what the fuck? No, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's stupidly ridiculous, but so, I'm just like, that's Sylvester fucking hilarious. Sylvester has a great body of work, too, by the way. His he earlier. does? This is I will of, give this him was, This might have been his very first role ever. Well, I mean, he yeah, didn't talk. He does not talk in this movie. But he does have great uh, great roles and great leads. But um, yeah, yeah uh, we'll, we'll save this for another time because sure. it's going to go on. But um, there's so many great moments in this film. Like I had told you on the couple of things I was talking to Ray about is for some reason I wanted Ray to watch this with his dad because it's like an older film. It's like <laughs> it's filmed in the seventies and it feels like it's filmed in the seventies. I just felt like his dad would probably appreciate it. Um, I thought it'd be a cool moment. But I mean, I I, I, would, I would show him. Like I, I didn't say I'm not gonna show it to him. I, sh- yeah. I I had to watch it just for our sake and to like oh yeah sure. take mental notes about what we're gonna talk right, if so we were gonna talk to about it. it. Yeah, yeah, and we are. We'll, we'll and we'll talk about it next time or whatever. Time. But I'll, I'll definitely show it to him. I think he'd appreciate that kind of style. Speaking of which, uh, real quick, now that you brought it up, it, yeah, yeah, it, it was filmed in the seventies, and was one of those moments where it's like, is that the first? Maybe not the the first time, but it was like, I don't know. It was just it was like a period movie made in the seventies about a time in the thirties. Yeah, I don't think it's quite the thirties, but it's like forties or fifties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, no, it was just funny to me. It's like, hey, look, there's this old movie about an older time period. Yeah, I don't know. It's just. Yeah, I got you. But I did like that this well, time. There have been time period yeah, films. I know, I know, since I know. From the ground. I know. Uh, I don't know. There's something about it. But I do like that in this one, they added color. So it wasn't just black and white, it was color at this point. Well, yeah, it was color. And uh, it definitely added. They went big with like the whole neon stuff, you know? Yeah. What you would expect from. Noir. Noir, yeah. For sure. Yeah. But it's good. Yeah, I enjoyed this one a lot. It was funny too. because. There are elements of noir for sure, but it's more the the narration and the mm-hmm. acting than it is like this some of the scenery. But there's also where it's obvious that it's filmed in a nineteen seventies yeah. you know, section of New York or something. It's it's pretty I mean there, there's one shot where you, they're driving through the suburbs and they pull up to the house and you like look at the houses and you're like, huh. Yeah. <laughs> And okay. Didn't, okay. Oh, didn't no. do much set yeah. decorating here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But oh man, what was I gonna say? So many good characters. I will say this about this film. The ride of this, the fucking plot points that go off like 
like what the fuck and all of a sudden the house of the rising sun like a whorehouse is thrown in it has nothing to do or there's no reason really for it to be in it there's no reason but there is some background given to it right but you could easily cut the whole whorehouse element out but it's like somebody that was writing it was fascinated with I just, I well, just love horses, man. We gotta put a whorehouse in here. That being said, but it's one of the a, it's one of the better like whodunit films that I've seen. Yeah, no, it's really great, and a, a part of it again is the narration and the acting ability of Robert Mitchum. But th- there's other great actors in here too. Yeah, Harry Dean, one of my favorite. I don't know why he was always a side character. He kept very seldom lead roles, and even Jack Holleran, who's known as Moose Malloy. Kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of a little Dude, too dense, but it's still cool. Man. Talk like, about a fucking like unique looking person, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He reminds he was, like, me of what, what's the uh, who is Lurch, the big giant character that used to show up in a lot of the James Bond films? I think he's dead now, but. He was just as tall, but he was even uglier than than this dude. Not that I don't he's, think he's not ugly. He's ugly. I say unique looking. Yeah, very unique looking. Big, big head. Kind of. I don't know how you would describe that skull. <laughs> it's a bit massive. Yeah, I know. We should say the rest of this part, but I did love the acting yeah. of the the madam. Even though I was ripping on the fact that why is there a whorehouse in here? She was great, and I loved uh, my favorite part of the film. We should just save it. Oh, we'll save it. We'll save it. We'll Sylvia Miles uh, is another great actor in here, but yeah, we'll save it. Yeah, man, cool shit. That's really good. cool shit. I'm glad. Like, uh, I'm glad we didn't do this fucking plot point A, B, C. Here's a you know, like we're <laughs> describing the entire film. Right. Well, I think I I, I think and and we'll probably get hopefully get better at this as we keep going. Yeah. I think it'll be a good idea to give enough for them to understand. Yeah, and which the, like the plot a lot of, but enough not enough to like give the, the whole thing away, but enough to entice them to watch it. Sure. And and like there's a lot of film podcasts that that yeah. do this or do elements and what I think our, our uniqueness will be again is that we're doing all these different projects we're doing we're giving these aspects coming from from these parts of being the film people, people that are actually working in film. But in addition to that, but other podcasts have that too, the camaraderie that, that you and I have. Yeah. I think we're going to start as we keep going. We'll, we'll, and uh, I did not pop a top on this one. I'm probably going to enjoy yeah. a beer with Ray. But I do <laughs> think it's, you know, we're at times going to get sloppier and meaner and, more sarcastic, but who cares? Well, it's because we're talking about actually good made movies now. <laughs> Wait until we get to the more like shoddy movies. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll probably yeah. go off then. Well, let's. Th- what, what shoddy movies? Uh, what do you want to. I don't know. Anything from the past 20 years. Not anything, but like a lot of it will be from the past God, 20 years I'm or more. With you. And like a lot of it's such shit that I don't yeah. even want to talk about it. I wouldn't even want to either, but. The aspect of us just Maybe ranting and anger. Hangry, we'll be, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> just pick a shitty movie from the, the past oh, 20 years. You thought this was great? Yeah. Oh, Marvel's uh, oh, politically correct, uh, you know. Green screen movies? Yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Oh, fuck that. Listen, nothing against you Marvel fans, but like. No. And there's the, la- the last Spider-Man movie was it for me. Really, really did. I didn't see the last one. The very last one I heard it was supposed to be great. The most recent one? Yeah, No Way Home. Is it bad? 
No, 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 it's good. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. still like a slop of like green screen shit, and like even though you can't tell it's green screen, you know it's made in front of a green screen. I, I hate that. Shit. And when you, as somebody who works in the biz, like in industry, industry, yeah. it, for me, it's like a total like. Fuck yeah! No, I don't like that either. Like I would never. And, and, I and love, hopefully this never comes look, back to bite us. I love the the some of the old Marvel, and I love yeah. like the, the oh, yeah. whole concept of the. I'm just going to say it, comic book to film. But I also, like, I still want the comic, the the kind of gritty, the grittiness of the comic book to that. And that's oh, one of don't. my beefs against. It's they just don't. the fucking They're just like, let's high production without it looking or be really High being, production, diluted, like... Yeah, crap. Politically messaged bullshit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that was a short snippet of what you could expect later on. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. But, yeah, I, I think, think that's a... we got nothing else. I'm going to have a beer. Are you going to have a beer with me? Or some wine? Yeah, might as well. Yep. We can talk about our stuff. Add an idea. Yeah, maybe we'll... Uh, for... Maybe we record then again. <laughs> after we're drinking. I might just put it on for something later. But, uh, yeah. That's it. We don't need to exit. Peace out. Um, Peace. I don't know what we're doing next. We might do uh, Farewell, My Either Lovely. Either Farewell, My Lovely or something like that. Yeah, yeah, That's right. Stay you tuned. never know. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. You want to say anything? No. Okay. No, I'm good. Peanut M&M's beer. Here we come. Here we come. Goodbye.